only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding We did the shady tongue a couple of weeks ago. And now the fiery tongue. We're going to uh, primarily be in Proverbs today. And then next week we'll hopefully close off our series on the tongue and look at some New Testament passages, and we'll touch on this topic some more next week, but a good introduction, certainly, in, in the book of Proverbs. Let's pray as we begin. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you so transform us by the grace of Christ. You so fix our hearts upon your glory and you comfort us and make us whole and give us hope and plant in our hearts the very love of God as we taste it in Christ so that we can be healed and made complete people who are not so broken down and wasted and empty that we pour out evil things from our mouths but by your grace begin to reflect your beauty and our words begin to heal and build up. Our words transform from being cruel to kind and words that build and equip. Lord, we, we thank you for your transformation of our hearts, our very lives, through the precious grace and forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, dig into our hearts now. This word that divides between the bone and the marrow and the the, uh, soul and the spirit, this word that gets in the middle of our lives and begins to rattle around and shake things, Lord, we pray, uh, open up our eyes. We pray the psalmist prayer uh, that, that... Open up your word to us, Lord, that we may understand our sin and that we may understand your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our time is a bit limited this morning as we come to communion, so uh, we're just going to get right at it. I've basically taken uh, not every verse, but certainly the majority of verses that occur in Proverbs on this subject of anger. There are other things to be said. We last week spoke a little bit about righteous anger, that, uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the bad kind of anger, the anger that's injured pride, selfishness, fear, whatever causes us to blow up at one another. And next week we'll explore a little more in detail the those kinds of that kind of anger that's more of a smoldering kind. Uh, I love in my conversation with Kay this week. Uh, I had talked. I had a 
one of our members wrote an encouraging note about how the series on the tongue had helped him in some issues at work. And I wrote back some things about how I'm hoping it's sanctifying me in my words to my wife and how I want to be kind in every single thing I say to her. And I was telling Kay a little bit about that writing back and forth. And I said, honey, I just don't want to snap at you anymore. And she said, she said, well, you don't really snap, you snip. (laughs) So whether it's snapping or snipping, (laughs) whether it's that sense of you're annoyed, you're just sullen, you've got an edge to your voice, all that's under that rubric, you know. The more civilized form of anger and, and unkindnesses that we spread around. So, but just as a kind of general idea, realizing that there are a lot of different aspects. And so I, I'm, I'm saying that so you don't maybe uh, exclude yourself saying, well, I don't just burst out and yell and scream. Well, it, it's, it's whatever is not full of kindness and the, the desire to do good, to build up, to equip, to encourage all of our words. All of our words should be that. So whether it's sarcasm, ridicule, that little edge or snide comment, all of that has to do with anger. But of course we're talking about the more bold forms of of anger. But first of all, notice the weakness of anger and the strength of patience. Here's a surprising contrast because supposedly... The, the man is pushing his weight around. He's letting you know what a big guy he is or her. And so it's a show of strength. No, thousands of years ago, they saw what we see. No, that's a weak person. That's a, we- a, a run-down person. Like a city broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Uh, controlled by fears, insecurities, pride... Anything but kindness and love. We don't think of that person as a strong person. We think of him as a weak person. And so he is. And then notice, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Green Beret and Navy Seal is one thing. But a guy who controls his spirit, there's a man. There is a man. He uses his strength for good and not for evil, and his words for good. So connected to that is the foolishness of anger and the wisdom and glory of patience. And by the way, the word patience, or slow to anger, is one that describes God. We'll get to that uh, toward the end, but it's the same word used when you see patience or slow to anger. But notice the man of quick temper acts foolishly. A man of evil devices is hated. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Don't you feel like if you're insulted and mistreated, you gotta, you can't just take it, you know? You gotta stand up to the person. You gotta show who you are. You gotta shove your weight around. No, the prudent ignores an insult. So, 23 there, it's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Ah! It, it, you know, in our, our parlance, any idiot can quarrel. You know. 
But they're not just talking about fool in terms of mental incapacity, you realize. It's moral fool. It's, it's an evil thing to be a fool in, in uh, Proverbs. But it has that edge also of the destructiveness of that sin. The, the absolute foolishness that how wasteful, how things break down because of sin. Sin poisons things and ruins things. That's why it's so foolish. But it is always evil. So whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Take folly and you put it on the throne. Say, I worship folly. I honor folly. Folly is wonderful by being an angry person, a hasty temper. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense, the same as the prudent ignores an insult. Or whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So prudence, understanding, knowledge, honor, glory. All of these things are attached to a man who has self-control. And he says what is right and what is good and what is helpful and what builds up and what encourages, what nourishes, what is like a, a fountain pouring out good to others, not the opposite. Any fool, any fool can blow up. And so in the box Ecclesiastes, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for angry lodges in the bosom of fools. Uh, some people are, they, they know exactly where you can find rattlesnakes out west. They know exactly the crevices in the caves where rattlesnakes are. He says, you know where you can find uh, anger? You always find it in the crevice of a fool. That's where you can find it. That's the idea in Ecclesiastes. And so, the self-destruction of anger, this kind of plays off the idea of foolishness and the weakness of it. It's self-destructive. The man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. And there's another irony. He's trying to hurt others. He's trying to put others down. And the great irony is it's self-destruction. It's masochistic. It's suicidal. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot or the leg or the shoulder or the heart or the head. Just be an angry man. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you'll only have to do it again. The idea of just repeated destruction that occurs from an angry man. And so it's self-destructive, but it destroys others. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Look at the contrast. Wounding or healing wounds. <laughs> Amazing. The kind of life that will always be seeking to heal what wounds are there and another kind of life that is creating wounds by rash and harsh words. As charcoal to hot embers and a wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. The explosion of anger scatters shrapnel in many places. And it can scatter shrapnel for years. And this... 
These are proverbs that that Solomon and others gathered that was wisdom among the nations. And it's wisdom under God, under common grace wisdom, and wisdom specifically in the Word of God 3,000 years ago. People are the same, and they know the destructive effect of anger. Then the good effects of patience. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Notice, soft anger, a soft answer turns away anger where it already exists, but a harsh word stirs it up where it doesn't exist. There again, look at the contrast. Like wounding or healing, stirring up wrath or calming down wrath. I remember years ago, the first incident I ever heard of this is a, my friend Dave Hassel, uh, when I spent a few wavered years at University of Tennessee, um, and, but was saved from that life. But, um, <clears throat> but he said he got on an elevator, and this guy got on the elevator and was just spouting off and and said something really mean to Dave. And Dave had just been mem- had just memorized this verse. And he said, we were on about the eighth floor. By the time we got to the first floor, this guy calmed down. Because I just spoke calmly to him and quietly to him. And sooner, he said, by the time we got to the bottom, he was okay. But just think if he had tied into, well, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> you'd had two people. And this is the idea, too, we'll get to more next week. Don't over, uh, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans twelve twenty one. Evil's there, and perhaps someone else is being influenced by the evil one at that point in their anger. Well, don't let it envelop you, and then you be caught up and multiply it. You know, let's make two of us now that are controlled by the enemy at this point. So we are always to be an influence for good, especially when we're faced, when something is coming in direct attack to us. For us to say, well, he did it first is nothing because we've then been overcome by evil. But we're to overcome evil with good. And so along those lines with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Isn't that interesting? It has the greatest effect. Now, that's a rather uh, harsh analogy. We'll break the bone, you know, just a soft word. But the point is, it will have the strongest effect. You think that, and of course, with our children, that's why it's so important that you don't count or you don't wait. They don't have to wait till you get to a certain decibel level, you know. They kind of have a radar. So she's not loud enough. She's not loud enough. Oh, that's it, you know. And so the whole obedience is based on how loud you get rather than what you've just said quietly to your child. Because a soft tongue will break the bone. In that, in that sense, a soft answer will create the uh, obedience that you want and needs to be required in that way. So uh, we can train our children to... And really, we're training ourselves to be angry when we do that, of course. Uh, On the back page, then, of course, avoid people of anger. You can read that. And then notice these general passages concerning restraining yourself. And this would apply to anger 
probably above all, but it would apply to any uh, abuse of the tongue. Notice, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And the indication is, if you would but think and ponder and reflect and wait, how much wickedness would be avoided. Pondering, carefully guarding what you say. As he says in uh, 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And the idea there is just by not watching yourself, not pondering, not guarding. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And that's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 141.3, Set a guard over my mouth, O God. I can't even do it myself. I, Lord, you must do it by your mighty power. And his commitment in Psalm 39.1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. So we have to bridle. We have to take that responsibility. And, and it's, it's obvious here that they view the tongue as always liable to do something wrong. And so it has to be constantly watched. And let's be careful about how we deal with one another. And, of course, I think marriage is the uh, supreme test of that. And family is the supreme test of that. Well, there are other passages here uh, that you can read on that idea of restraint. But before we close, we must touch on this last section a minute. The Lord himself is slow to anger. This uh, practically a formula for setting forth the basic character of God. It's repeated over and over in the Old Testament. I have the verses listed there. The passages, the references. But here it is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In each of these passages, no matter what other things are surrounding it, slow to anger in every case. And you'll, you'll notice that Greek word. I'm not trying to, you know, for us to act smart here, but just want you to see that that word used in the Old Testament that that's translated slow to anger, is very similar. It's just a, a different uh, form of the word used to speak about God's patience and our patience, like the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's the same word that describes God over and over and over as patient or slow to anger. I just want to connect the dots there. The patience that is required of us or the patience that is given to us through the Spirit is the same basic word that's that's used to describe God when that's translated into the Greek. He is slow to anger. He is a patient God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. Love is slow to anger. That's what love does. Same word. Love, therefore, is like God. You know, it is, if God is a God of love, then God must be uh, slow to anger. That, those are found in each other, so to speak. So, <clears throat> number one there, being quick to anger instead of slow to anger is profoundly unlike God. And he has far more reason than we be, do, we to uh, be quick to anger, and yet he is not. What is our excuse? It's the idea of his supreme majesty. You know, our wounded pride and, and they put me down and you've mistreated me and all these kind of things. And, and we expect, we hope for, we trust in the fact that God will be patient with us. Calvin talks about this in his 
commentary on Ephesians 4 that talks about anger. And, and Calvin says that, uh, he, he talks about how we have little regard for the honor of God and so much regard for our own honor. So much regard. We'll talk about that a little bit at the table. Therefore, being quick to anger highly displeases and offends God. Those who are given to anger as a way of life, unrepentant way of life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those kind of people, unrepentant, turn their backs upon God and they're just going to be that way, will not enter heaven. Because God is slow to anger, though, we can trust in His mercy and forgiveness. He's slow to anger. All those passages that are given in the Old Testament are given to us to encourage us. See, He's merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. They all go together. He is ready to show you mercy. Why? Because He's patient. He's slow. You say, but look at all the stuff I've done. Look at what I've thought and said. Yeah, He is patient with you. He is patient with you. He is slow to anger. He is merciful, abounding in loving kindness. This is a reason why we can expect His forgiveness if we come to Him and trust in Him through Christ. Lastly, if God is slow to anger and He is renewing us into His image, which it says He is doing in Ephesians and Colossians there, then we will become slow to anger. We will become patient like He is. That's encouraging. He's making me like Him. He will hate such a thing as anger in us. And He will save us from it. And so as we ask Him and we talk about it to Him, and we, as we talk about the why have I said this to my wife? Why did I say that to my children? Oh, Lord God, what gushed out of my heart that I would think such a thing and then say it? Then He is ready to come to our rescue. He will go against our sin because He does not want it in us but he is on our side to help us rid it, to help get rid of it in our life. Be encouraged by that. God will save us from our sins. And it's no surprise, of course, that the fruit of the very spirit of this God will be patience. It will be the fruit in your life and my life. And so by his grace, we can walk in a whole new life of patience and there's no telling just in this room how much healing needs to be done today in the next weeks and months and could be accomplished if this becomes a patient congregation within your families and your closest relationship. If this becomes a patient, forbearing congregation living out the full grace of Jesus Christ, let us pray. Lord, how amazing that we would have such a regard for our own honor and not see that it's really a brokenness in us full of fears and insecurities that cause us to mistreat one another like we do. And then we have no regard for your honor and how we have dishonored you. Lord, turn things right side up in our heads and in our hearts. Let us see your glory 
Let us long for your honor. Let us be most broken about how we've grieved you, Lord, and most concerned about our sin. And then, Lord, taste the sweetness of your forgiveness for our sins. And, Lord, for that fullness and rich experience of your love to begin to color and sweeten and clean our hearts Purify our hearts, as Peter says, for love for the brethren, love for one another, for love is patient. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we will truly be a fountain of life to one another in our most intimate relationships, where it's the most difficult in the struggle of family life day to day. Oh, Lord, may there be fountains of life that begin to bubble up where they weren't. By your sovereign grace, Lord, you are able to do it. You've promised to do it. It is your salvation. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few words uh, at the outset. If you are visiting and you have children, well, first for you, if you're visiting and you are have professed Christ at a church that worships God and proclaims the gospel, uh, we invite you to join us. And be a part of this fellowship of sinners tasting the grace of God as it is represented in the death of Christ here. As it represents the death of Christ here. And if your children have professed faith in that way at your church, then they can certainly hold out their hands. If not, they can hold their hands to the side and that will help us know who should be served and who shouldn't be. Um, If you do not want to have wine, but rather would have grape juice... The signal is point your finger and then we'll serve you the grape juice instead of the wine. Um, I want just to connect the dots a little bit so that the, the experience of His grace is one of the greatest, it is the only, it is the only means by which we can cleanse our lives of anger. Um, Calvin talks about uh, the concern that we should have for the honor of God. And it's a, it's, things are upside down when I'm a man of anger. I have no regard for the honor of God because I'm not broken and humble over my sin against God. And then I'm, I'm in unbelief, not trusting Him for forgiveness and tasting that love so that it is filling and supplying my life to overflow in that kind of love to someone else. But it shows an emptiness, a vacuum, a brokenness, a fear, uh, insecurity, uh, pride that I'm the focus of my life instead of the grace of God becoming the focus of my life. But it's not just God saying, don't do this, do this. It's God rescuing you in your sinfulness and showing you grace and mercy and forgiveness and you experiencing that. That's the only thing that will change your heart from the inside out. So it may seem a bit of a paradox. We don't need to go through therapy. (laughs) We need to go through God's therapy. And it's to say, you are the one to be honored. I have grieved you. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Experience that love continually, that forgiveness And it begins to transform your life as you, from your fullness, are able to respond with resiliency, with patience, with kindness in the face of meanness. 
with energy and strength to pour out yourself to others because you have found a resource in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate here. New life in Christ. So as you take the bread and the wine, not only think about the forgiveness that you have, but think about what this means. I am taking to myself the Lord Jesus Christ and he promises to give me his new life of patience. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And it is conveyed to us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection and the reign of Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we come to you afresh to declare, Lord, how we have sinned against you in so many ways, in word and thought and deed. Oh Lord, We sin against you and we don't even know it. We are so insensitive and hardened. Lord, we come asking for your forgiveness. We pray, turn our hearts to think about your honor, not our honor. Convict our hearts so that we are grieved and broken, so that we come to you for forgiveness. And that becomes the focus of our life, Lord, the the experience of forgiveness and renewal in Christ. No, oh Lord, we ask, give us life. Change our the way we speak. Change the way we think. Change the way we feel. Change us, Lord, inside out and everything that needs healing. Oh, Lord, heal us. Impart yourself to us, Lord Jesus. We have no other hope but you. Amen. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it. Eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many. Take it. and Drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in which he says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. Would the elders and deacons please come forward? The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?